Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The highly anticipated second season of the hit podcast Proof is finally here. Proof is an investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here. Proof made headlines for its first season in 2022 after proving the innocence of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend Brian Bowling when they were just 17 years old. 25 years later, on December 8, 2022, both men were finally freed based on evidence unearthed by Proof. In the second season of Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, this time traveling the streets of Manteca, California, to uncover who really murdered 18-year-old Rene Ramos. On June the 5th, 2000, Ramos's body was found buried under a pile of debris inside the shell of a new Home Depot building. Despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, tips that were ignored until now, Renee's boyfriend, 18-year-old skateboarder Jake Silva, and Ty Lopez, the 33-year-old uncle of one of Jake's close friends, were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part two of my conversation with Sister Carrie Burner, a.k.a. the nun with a gun. She'll provide more disturbing details about a U.S. DOD document titled Nano Domestic Quell, a population control program involving nanotech devices in our food and water. And it says Nano Domestic Quell Protocols for Phase 4 DTFN Estimated Rates Phase 4 Updated Compliance. Current total infection rate for the United States general population is 87.2%. DTFN projects dispersal mediums will require additional resources for Phase 4 of NDQ. DTFN recommends an increase in the following medium inflows and outflows specific to liquid dispersal. And it gets into the companies Pepsi, Nestle, Danone, Coca-Cola, and Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Seattle Municipal Water Supply. 
The Horrible Movie Podcast is a weekly show hosted by Jack Altermat. Jack invites a guest who brings a horrible theater-released movie to dissect. Jack and his guests take you through the highs and lows of the movie and what makes it horrible. New movies, older movies, cult classics, or box office busts. No movie is spared or safe from The Horrible Movie Podcast. It's a fun show with clean language, and it's available through Spreaker.com, Apple Podcasts, StudioDNA.media, and everywhere you get your podcasts. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Sister Carrie Burner is standing by with more on the frightening DOD document, Nano Domestic Well. If it's a genuine classified document, it appears to be spelling out a vast program of infecting the U.S. population with nanotech devices through the food and water supply. And once activated, these devices would disable citizens. Think of it as a giant kill switch. Authorities could put down or quell rioting or any kind of civil disobedience, protests, even political dissent. Before we get to that, once again, I want to say hello to some of my faithful listeners. Here is Cayman Mythwood in Holstein, Ontario. Hi, Richard. I've been following your shows for years. I usually listen on my phone, on the road, or from my hot tub with morning coffee. Always super relaxing and informative. I tell all my podcast friends to check out your awesome program. Added another hundred or so grateful listeners. Well, thank you, Cayman. I absolutely love the show and look forward to listening for years to come. I've really enjoyed hearing your show from abroad in Greece. It sounds beautiful there. Indeed it is. All the best for your safe return to Canada. And thank you so much for the amazing body of work you have created. You totally rock. Cayman Mythwood, Holstein, Ontario. Well, thank you very much. Dear Richard, I listen to you via iTunes, either cycling to and fro from work or whilst I'm working. I also like to listen when I'm working in the back garden. I live in the Netherlands in a town called The Hague. Yes, we're familiar. And I find your podcast very fascinating. Don't agree on everything, but I'm a loyal listener since 2012, I think. Keep up the great work and keep opening our minds. Yours sincerely, Andre Klaus. Thank you, Andre. Here's a one more. Hi, I listen to you while I'm at work as a bookkeeper for a healthcare company. You are always my first go-to podcast of the day. I listen to Conspiracy Unlimited, The Conspiracy Show, and The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. I'm in Paducah, Kentucky, which is in central in the uh, central time zone, similar to Chicago. You have the absolute best shows. I love the no-nonsense style. You're a great host. I'm listening on my Samsung S6 via CastBox. Thank you for all your hard work. Much love to the mighty Aphrodite and the twins. Thank you to a Catherine in Paducah, Kentucky. All right, let's get to Nano Domestic Quell with the nun with a gun. Sister Carrie converted to Catholicism at 17. She spent many years as a nun serving peacefully within the Catholic Church until she was sexually assaulted by church clergy. After that experience, she became a whistleblower in search for justice and truth. Her efforts to expose evil in Rome has led to no fewer than 10 attempts on her life between 2011 and 2016, and she's here to discuss this sinister plot involving, she says, the Jesuit order and the U.S. government involving population control and the introduction 
application of destructive nanotechnology into food and other products. She's the founder of Christ the Wall Hermitages, and she is the author of Divine Challenge, The Clergy Sex Abuse of a Hermit Nun, and its 15-year cover-up by monastery and church officials. Sister Carrie Berner, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? Excellent. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. Thank you. It's Sister Carrie Berner, but are you still with the Catholic Church or have you left the church? I left the church in 2008, converted to orthodoxy, uh, uh, orthodox Christian. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm not, people out of, out of um, fondness might call me Sister Carrie. I don't mind that. Uh, or Kiri, so either one is perfectly fine. All right. Well, I'm an Orthodox Christian as well, so. Uh, oh, interesting. Okay. Were yes. you brought up Orthodox? I was not. I married into the faith. I married a a, a wonderful Greek woman, and uh, I converted uh, so that I could participate in the sacraments when my children were were born. Awesome. This that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Let's just go back and pick up on a few points. You were essentially sexually assaulted, groped by a Catholic priest, and this happened while you were at a at an abbey. You were a, a monastic nun, correct? Yes, and at that time I was seeking through Canon 603 to become a hermit, so my particular status at that time was called the candidacy program, uh, but I did spend five years or thereabouts uh, in a convent setting in Still River, Massachusetts within community. They call that Cenobitic lifestyle. So technically, my status when I was at the Abbey was that of, the, of uh, candidacy and out of respect, uh, out of respect, basically people just called me sister and I dressed that way because that's the way you, you should be doing things when you're trying out the, the religious lifestyle. You're supposed to take on the life, live the life, and then once the community sees and under your spiritual advisor also and bishops and so forth, that when they see you're living the life, then after six years, they'll confer the the, the vows on you in, in a public setting. Right. Now, the, so, the, the priest that uh, assaulted you, that groped you, uh, this wasn't the first time. There were other victims, correct? That's correct. And you can readily get those in my book that's in the Divine Challenge uh, Let's see here. On clergyvictim.com, I don't know which tab it is, but on the left-hand side, it will say Divine Challenge Book Now Available, and then you'll see it, the other victim actually in writing and the police reports with her name in there, with her trying to help us stop, you know, a case, you know, from going into the, the, the court. But unfortunately, uh, there was a, an agenda to try to destroy my credibility because I was very truthful on the stand, and they were not, Okay. So that's, you know, you can certainly find that. And then later, after I found out about that victim, there are other victims, and they weren't just women. And is this priest still active in the church? He passed away, and the story surrounding all of that is in the book Divine Challenge. And it's interesting because, ooh, this is very deep. I had a spiritual experience where I could feel that he was dying, and I called the monastery or I asked my friend Grace, will you please call? And I had the special private phone number to get through. And Father Robert picked up the phone, he ran and got Father Dominic, who was in dialogue with me at the time. And I said, I'm deeply concerned, is Father Joseph okay? And they said, isn't that interesting? Last night at three in the morning, he was rushed to the hospital. I think it was for kidney issues. 
and I'm like, oh my God, where is he? What hospital? And uh, he, he reluctantly gave me the hospital, but said, you don't have permission to go. He's not supposed to talk to you. And I said, like, I'm not interested in talking to him, but I felt this awful feeling in the pit of my stomach. Like if he needs to go to God, he has to, you know, he needs to know I forgave him. So Grace and I got in the car immediately. This whole story is recounted in the Divine Challenge book. And uh, we get, I tell her, just go through every red light. I was really sick to my stomach, beyond the beyonds. I was in incredible pain, spiritually and physically. And at the time I was praying the rosary all the way to the hospital. I sat in the car. I said, Grace, uh, she was a nurse. She put her stethoscope on. She had her, she was ready you know, for work pretty much. She walked right in there and I gave her my favorite rosary beads and said, please give these to father and tell him I forgave him. She walked in, she found his room and he was so thankful and accepted the rosary beads and just said, I'm not allowed to talk to her. And Grace said, she's respecting the rule, but that father Dominic did disclose the location and that all she wants you to do is know that, that she forgave you hundred percent and to go to God with that in, in peace. And uh, he was very, he actually, Grace reported he, he was crying, okay, in that instance. Then when the man died, I ended up, I could feel that feeling again. I was with my sister and she's like, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm not okay. So I would immediately go into prayer, some sort of intercessory prayer. And I got an email from Father Dominic inviting me to the funeral and just saying that you can't come in with the rest of everybody else, like his family and friends, because, you know, it was a, a packed, you know, service but that they encouraged me to, to show up and thanked me for my intercessory prayer for his soul. So that's some deep stuff right there. But, um, yeah, yeah, there's the, the book is, is very powerful. Um, that whole part of it. That, that is very powerful that, that, uh, you would be so concerned about his spiritual welfare that you, uh, even after undergoing that sexual assault, that you would forgive him. But uh, you know what? I would expect nothing less from, uh, from a Christian, um, nor should we expect anything less, right? Absolutely, but it is a road. There's no doubt you do have your moments. <laughs> In the beginning of that, it wasn't always easy, but as I saw late, you know, throughout time, I could see where their motives were. I was, I was getting a better understanding as to why they were having their, the problems they were having, and it wasn't just one person, and then what do you do? And then I heard stories from the other side through, you know, that they were losing access to insurance policies. And it's like, okay, I could see why they're really, you know, not wanting to, to bring in a healing. So there's no excuses for it. But with having an understanding of what their losses were, I could easily say, okay, I get it. I see that they have their own side to this. I, I, don't, I don't follow. They have their own side to what? To, to covering up. To covering up the, the, you know, not wanting to bring in non-conflict resolution means to to resolving these problems with other so basically i was understanding that they were losing insurance policies because the other insurance policies were all up they were in other words paying out all these other victims right right so when when they were getting me the process of forgiveness isn't just forgiving it's it's forgiving but it's having an understanding and that the, the process of forgiveness is also to release you from that sin that was done to you and in the scripture it says if, if your brother has offended you you need to leave your gift at the altar then go and find a way to reconcile right you and there's you know you go to your brother and if that doesn't work you go to the council and if that doesn't work 
then you do the best you can. Right. This process of forgiveness is very, very deep. Very deep. Right. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal, but if you want more, listen to the dead files wherever you get your podcasts. Now, but but this is systematic what is going on. I mean, there is there is an evil intent here as we as we discussed in 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 uh, in part 1. Uh, this is part of creating mass, this is part of creating trauma in an individual to induce a disassociative disorder. Uh, I mean, are, are they, you, you alluded to this, the, the priests are getting a list, they're getting a list of, of, of individuals to go out and assault and to have sex with? Yes, yes, that's, and even the monks themselves were being attacked. And even Father Dominic and I talked about that. I was so angry, and I went right through the cloister gate as I was, you know, we had a, we were supposed to dialogue with each other, and we had a specific setup and a time for, to do that. But when I was seeing that he wasn't returning a response, I'm like, wait a minute, I forgave you guys of millions of dollars here. The least we could do is keep up to our agreement. And so in the dialogue, I finally went through and I said, uh, all this is in the book again. Sorry that I don't have everything memorized, but basically. Um, after the case, after the thing hit the newspaper and I lost and so forth, I ended up collecting information and seeing that I do have a civil case. And so I presented that in letter form to the Abbey and said, I don't want to do a civil suit. All I want to do is be able to return to prayer there because they kicked me out. I couldn't go to that church, couldn't go to the Abbey. And that was painful for me because that the beautiful uh, entrance, the way that you went into the first uh, segment of your show last time was so beautiful how you described your bond to the place. You know, it's called Amatores Lochi. It's the lover of the place. A mark of a Cistercian is that he or she is a lover of the place. Mm. And it nurtures you. So when they kicked me out, I was like devastated because that was my connection to right, God. Right, right. And God had to work on me. But anyway, the bottom line is, is yes. I confronted Father Dominic and said, let's knock off the BS, because I was really angry and I didn't care anymore. And uh, I said, we're going to have a real conversation. And so I sat in his desk and he sat on the other side. I was just so mad. And uh, he sat down and I said, listen, Father, this is nonsense. And I said, I have a whole file, a whole stack of files. And he said, you're absolutely right. Don't you get it? 
you're not the problem, we're the problem. And I spoke with Abbott Damien and I have gotten incredibly angry and I packed up my bag several times and I was on my way back to California, but something kept me here and it's the same thing that keeps you, your love alive for this place too. You're one of us, he said, you're family. And I said, well, I certainly don't feel like I'm treated like family. He said, if I was the abbot, I would do everything to change that. And he said, if I was the abbot, none of this ever would have went to court. And I said, oh, my God, I wish you were the abbot, you know. And so when we were talking, he says, yeah, the, the abbot tells me that there's others who are monks who are going through their own experiences of being assaulted or even some participatory, you know, um, consensual sexual contact to there. And he says, you know what, you're not going to believe this, but the abbot won't even change it. He says, as long as you are in dialogue with me, your abbot, about these things, I won't ask you to change your behavior. And he said, this is nuts. And I said, good for you, Dominic. He said, but the only way we can change it is if I stay in here. And so, you know, that's pretty much, you know, the bottom line is, is they're in, 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 entrenched in this system. They're entrenched in, in, their, in their environment. And so, yeah, it was true. There's accounts of many situations. I mean, even people driving to the Abbey, I guess, sitting in their car and, and, you know, suiciding themselves. And it's like, why don't people go deeper into those cases? Exactly. You know? uh, the, you know? the, the intent of, the intention here of, um, you know, you, you mentioned this Abbey was sort of MK Ultra Central, Central that the individual who, who sort of built the Abbey was involved in Operation Paperclip, exfiltrating Nazi scientists into the United States. We all know that that chap, that dark chapter. Uh, but he was also involved in MK Ultra. What was the intent here to turn nuns or monks into mind-controlled assassins or uh, spies? What were they? What was the intention? I think uh, the way I would look at it is the monks there who who end up there end up being victimized. I don't know if they themselves, I believe there's a certain amount of quote unquote monks that are not really monks, but they're there. You know, it's, it's basically to create a cover for their nefarious works. I would not ever say that all the monks are evil because I've met some of them and they're, some of them are just, they're really beautiful souls. And there's others that I don't, I've met and there was some strange feelings, but all I can say is I have a picture of a monk with a, a wristwatch on that's an $8,000 Rolex and he's doing fake experiments on a, I can, I'm happy to give the pictures to you, but basically he's doing some fake experiments under a microscope, <laughs> posing for a video. It's called Into His Presence, I believe, and I actually captured that, that video sequence. Then later I went at, after to look at the sequence again and all of that was removed, but I have before and after pictures. Then when I brought out the whole thing of the Abbey's altar, you know, with J. Peter Grace's name on it, they shrunk. First, they removed the picture from their tra uh, Trappist Brewery website where they sell beer, Trappist, uh, Trappist Ale or tra Trappist Beer. And they sh then, after about a month, they shrunk the altar down to a very small size instead of a large size altar. And it was strange to me. Why would you bring an altar to commemorate J. Peter Grace into your beer company you know that that didn't even make sense to me and why would you try to conceal the name of a CIA operative he was involved in um, MK Ultra and MK Delta which is also chemical you know programs tied into intelligence and so forth military use and all this 
he was a sovereign military order of Malta member. He was tied into the big Spellman rings and circles. And I mean, it, it's just beyond the beyond. So all I can say is from my visual and my contact with these monks being in their presence, many I've seen them being basically subjugated and torn down. I mean, one of them told me I was, he was uh, attacked. And I said, I'll take care of you. Come into my home. I'll get another job. And he said, I can't leave here. I've been here for over 30-something years. I can't just get a job. I'm, I'm over my in my late 60s. You know, and I'm like, that's, that's nuts. I said, that's crazy. I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I just avoid that monk because I don't want to be attacked. And I said, well, you're big enough. You could handle it. But what if there's other monks that are smaller than you, you know? So I just, it, it, I don't know. You know, all I know is what I saw there and what the reports show and what the history shows. And I spoke with Leo Lyons Agami about this sort of thing. And he confirmed that the Jesuits absolutely have control over our judicial systems. All the treatment I've gone through is just indicative of a pattern. So as far as the monks being assassins, the ones, all I can say is the ones I've been in contact with, they were victims. And the other ones that I was not in contact with, I don't understand why they'd have an $8,000 watch on their hand. Right, right. But, but, but the victims, uh, what, is the, what do they want to do with the victims? Are they trying to, to induce dissociative disorder? Are they trying to turn them into um, mules or assassins? What? I think more of a sexual nature, more of sex slavery. Um, because the stories that I, I was coming across through attorneys and through victims themselves... I never signed a gag order, they did, but basically, you know, that's their, their long list of victims that they can continue to slake their sexual thirst from, from these other victims. I think they were usefully, you know, being used for sexual needs that they had, for mm-hmm. sexual, you know, sick, you know, whatever expression of it. Um, as far as mind control goes, I think someone's working on the monks themselves in that matter. In my opinion, Father Damien Carr something needs some sort of conversion needs to happen to him he maybe he already had the conversion i don't know but as far as i'm concerned if i was the abbot and this situation came across my desk i would never have put you know the priory the second man in charge of the abbey my right hand man in charge of an abbey investigation i would have hired someone and brought them in to resolve it and not have it go to court because i didn't even want this to go to court so what you're asking for is i i lost contact with the abbey in 2008 I left Massachusetts 2009 I moved down to Texas and uh, so I wasn't I haven't been too much contact with them right right. so the research if you're an intelligence you would you're gonna know what's going on sure they used to call do they still call you the nun with a gun (laughs) Uh, my friends fondly call me that yes so you're a you're a second amendment gal are you Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. As am I. Um, there's only a couple. I think there's only a couple of us up in Canada. I'm. <laughs> I don't own a gun, but I, I certainly I support the Second Amendment. But but um, when you're if you're challenged on that, you know how how, is, how can a, a nun be in favor of the Second Amendment? How do you how do you respond to that argument? I'm an American nun. I'm not a Roman nun. Right. Right. 
but the whole idea of of uh, you know because this is this is often thrown in our face as Christians ah but what about Christ saying turn the other cheek which is it's a misinterpretation they're they're thinking that we have to be pacifists uh, it, yeah explain that never that was never the intent Christ was saying and I, this is what I believe because I found it through some Jewish writings that when Christ said turn the other cheek he was referring to when the rabbi would smack someone across the face it was usually there's a power differential the rabbi rabbi was teaching someone hey you're doing wrong um, and he he would only be allowed by law you know Jewish law to use the backside of his hand so when he would turn his face Christ would turn his face so to speak in this model that he's talking about if the rabbi slaps with the inside part of his hand the palm then that would actually cause him to lose status in his rabbi um, status it would show that he was acting out of passion and not out of the law and then when he would say in the second the same part of the scripture if you're told to walk a mile take go another mile and in that time they had the romans who were in control they were you know um you know they were basically they took over a whole all of judea back then so sure. they were the military you know government at that time so Jesus would say, don't just, because according to Roman law, you can't make some a Jew carry more than one, one mile. He would say, no, 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 keep going. And now you're going to see how foolish this looks, because now the Roman's going to get in trouble. So he's going to chase you down the road asking for his bag back. <laughs> to just illustrate the foolishness of these little rules and laws. And then the third one was, if, you know, they uh, want you, uh, you know, to give your, you know, give your cloak too, you know, if, if you owe whatever give your cloak too if they ask you for this give give them your cloak and he's basically saying if you're in a court proceeding and you owe money and you can't pay it back and they're going to be as stupid enough to take the cloak take off your underwear too walk out of the court naked <laughs> show them how stupid they are. so jesus was not a fool he studied torah and uh and so you know people say be past but christ even said sell what you have and get go get a, a sword that's right because he knew when he would leave we would be in deep trouble, and it is our obligation as Christians, especially you men out there that have women and wives and children, it's your duty and obligation before God to protect your family physically. Hey, this is Tony Merkel, host of The Confessionals, a blog talk radio podcast that brings you weekly interviews with eyewitness accounts of strange and unexplained events. From paranormal activity to UFO encounters to Bigfoot sightings, step into The Confessionals as we explore mysterious real-life stories. Check us out on your favorite podcast app or theconfessionalspodcast.com. And many thanks to Conspiracy Unlimited for having me on the air. I'll see you all on The Confessionals. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again and what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Sister Carrie Burner, the nun with a gun, is here talking nano-domestic quell and sexual abuse scandals inside the Catholic Church. How are you feeling now being an Orthodox? Are you running into any of the same sort of nonsense that you ran into when you were with the church? Uh, I know. Oh, no, I'm not running into that, but I, I'm very upfront about it. I say, if someone touches me, I'm going to land you, and I don't care who you are, you know? So they know it, and I see these big Russian priests, and, and I just let them know, I'm driving you from the airport, but if anyone touches me, you're going to be, you're in for it. <laughs> and they laugh, of course, they think it's funny, but I'm like, no, I'm serious, you know? 
And uh, but I've I haven't had to be in that disposition. Now I've heard of other people who came to me with allegations within our church. And the cool thing about the Orthodox is they say we don't know everything. We don't know it all. But if you have this gift to being able to bring resolution to these kinds of problems, then we would welcome you. You know, to helping us. And I was like, you know what? How cool is that? So now I had a, a victim, a survivor, come through, and, the, and these guys are not lying about it. They're like, well, yeah, this guy's not lying. He really was groped by this priest. And I turned to the victim survivor and I said, okay, can you please tell me if you had everything you wanted in this very moment? These priests are not lying to you. They're right up in your face and they know this happened. They believe you, okay? But what would you want to see as the outcome? in the church, in the family of the, the Orthodox faith, what would you want to see? The husband and the wife both looked at me and said, honest to God, we never thought of that. And I said, that's your duty and obligation. The person who is harmed is the one who carries the remedy. You carry the remedy. So you gotta bring that forward. And if they won't hear you, then you, you kick off the dust off your feet and you go somewhere else. That's the beauty of St. Athanasius. He wasn't sexually abused, but he was worse. I mean, certain ways, spiritual abuse is worse. I mean, they said to him, no, Jesus isn't really the son of God and son of man at the same time. They excommunicated the guy, communicated the guy five times. St. Athanasius is like, forget you guys. I have to do what's true here. And he went off to live by, you know, be by himself. And he kept to the truth of the faith. That's where the Athanasian creed comes in. And then the church finally caught on and said, you know what? This bishop is actually right. He's both God, both man. This is back in the 300s, I, right. I think, around. So... The beauty of the Orthodox is there is no centralized power, and if there is, then the lay people have the duty and obligation to knock that down. Right, right, you know, right. There, there's no infallibility of the Pope. It's just the patriarch is first among equals. That's right. Um, I want to go back to something that we touched on uh, in in part one as well, and that is nano domestic quell. Uh, for those who missed the episode. Tell us about this document that that uh, that you uncovered, and and what what does it say? Okay, well the cool thing is, is I uh, back in 2013, I came across a blog, and this I I've got my notes out. I was actually thinking you might ask about this, and the blog back way back then, in 2013, came from this guy. It says breaking disturbing secret document just released nano domestic quell. And it's from billweld.blogspot.com, and it goes on. So the bottom line is, what happened was, I came across this, and I saw, I wrote in my, my response, and I, I wrote it anonymous, anonymously and said, there is a solution for this. And I went into the solution and said that no matter what, there's always going to be a remedy. Within one week or less... The date here was October, oh boy, October 11, 2013. I made my comment about a week prior to that. Somebody went in and took over his website. This is not real. This is a hoax. Do not believe a word of this. All in red writing. And then they removed my comment and everybody else's a comment. And then they did character assassination against this Bill Weld guy. And uh, they removed everything. And I have before and after pictures of all this stuff. Bottom line, what this document is, I got it. I received it from an intelligence operative later, like that same year. And I was like, oh, my God, that thing is real. I think it's real. And uh, so basically what it says 
and you can do your own research too. Go to blackvault.com and type in nanotech or nano domestic well, and you'll see a document back in the 1997 that talks about uh, tags and, and nanotech, but you have to do a, a control find in order to be able to find it in that record. But this record here was not found on the on that particular website. But here it is, nano domestic quell, not nano foreign quell. This is towards the United States. And it says nano domestic quell protocols for phase four, DTFN estimated rates, phase four updated compliance, NDQ. Current total infection rate for the United States general population is 87.2%. Obviously, it's higher now. Projected infection for general U.S. populace by January 2014 is estimated to reach 98%. Total infection for ages 18 and above may reach 99%. DTFN projects dispersal mediums will require additional resources for phase four of NDQ. DTFN recommends an increase in the falling medium inflows and outflows specific to liquid dispersal, and it gets into the companies, Pepsi, Pepsi Cola, Nestle, uh, Danone, Coca-Cola, and Chicago, Atlanta, Los Angeles, and Seattle municipal water supplies. Dispersal outflows have shown significant improvement in population infection rates. Recommended inflow increases deployed in October 2012 resulted in a net increase of infection rates by 0.82%, slightly exceeding projections. DTFN assures DOD compliance for Phase 4 will be completed one week ahead of schedule. No further recommendations have been submitted by DTFN for Phase 5, etc., etc. So here's the thing. If anyone's afraid that they've eaten these foods, you can still clean it out. Go to www.augmentenforce.com. Go on to YouTube. Get Tony Pantoloresco's videos, and you can start cleaning yourself out, even if it's activated. But those who have been – this is food grade. Those who have been attacked with military-grade nano-innovative designer – fast-acting uh, nanotech, those are the people who should reach us out to us through uh, Chrysler Wall Hermitages, clergyvictim.com, ctwh at protonmail.ch, and those, are the, those people are being specifically lined up and targeted for death or, or other purposes. Right. So, now, the, the quell in nanodomestic quell, what is the government trying to quell? In other words, put, it, put down, quell as in, as in put down something. The American population, U.S. Okay, so... so the, the whole world, this document addresses America. So the, 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 the nano devices are in our bodies through the food supply, through the water supply, and then, then they, they are activated remotely? Is that the idea? Yes, through other means like energetic means. It could be um, cell phone towers, the 5G, it could be lasers, it could be... Uh, terahertz, it could be multiple things could activate it. And Just one, your right. And Go once ahead. once the nano device in your body is activated, what happens? What are the symptoms? Is it like a flu? You could feel, you could feel almost like the hives. You could also uh, have tinnitus, quote unquote, a tinnitus reaction, uh, static uh, brain fog, dizziness, vertigo. Uh, there's a whole long list of symptoms in, in the PowerPoint on the video, YouTube, go to Jesus defeats nanotech uh, video, and there's a whole list of symptoms listed. Um, but yeah, that's those are the main ones, the tinnitus especially. And this is a DoD uh, document. Um, yes. And I, I, I believe I asked you this the last time, but I'll ask again. How can we, how can we ascertain the veracity of this document? How can we make sure it's legit? It's not a hoax. Um, well, the only thing I can say is. The results of having carried this document 
I've been attacked as a result of it, um, you know, for putting it out. So for instance, proximate to the time I put this up on YouTube in a video, I was literally attacked with nanodispersal in Cabo San Lucas after exposing these documents. Um, as far as cross-referencing, you can certainly do that and there will be, you know, government documents. You can go to the blackvault.com and download the other DOD document that clearly talks about this. There's many other government documents, but one of the best ones I really like that's universal, that's not just for America, is the nano weapons. Because it's true, the intelligence community might say this stuff doesn't exist, it's not a nano weapon, there's no such thing, which is crazy. Nanotechnology in the international law of weaponry towards international regulation of nano weapons. Hitoshi, Hitoshi Nasu and Thomas Fonts. I'm going to do what I can to get that available on my website for download at clergyvictim.com. But this thing goes into, it's a journal, it's a law journal. And then you could go into uh, the Federal Register and you could go into LexisNexis and look up all the court cases. And some of them are, are sealed, you know, people that have been attacked with these technologies. But, you know, you it there's plenty of research to show that this is real and it does exist as a weapon. So if if 98% or whatever uh, of U.S. individuals are, are infected, can they sort of narrow the 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 scope of the attack for example if they only want to if they want to attack one uh, portion of the population let's say one specific county in Arizona uh, for whatever reason can they focus the attack on those individuals or once they flip the switch is everyone uh, affected the way I would see it is they may be able to do the genetic markers and pick on a specific race or, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there's documents that actually show that they could create, in my case, the last time I was hit up with nanotech, the markers were genetically predisposed to, for just me to have a reaction and nobody else because they had samples. In the interim of while my blood was being sent off to the lab, there were certain portions missing. And so therefore they had my blood, whoever did the intercept on my package had my blood. So they're capable of making it just for you personally, that's it, or they could isolate it to specifically Indians or Jews or black people or whatever. They could literally set that up with, with the genetic markers. Now, I've been talking to targeted individuals for years on, on the radio. Uh, and they've been trying to figure out, you know, why are they being targeted? They talk about voice to skull uh, technology. They talk about um, uh, sleep disruption and, and burning a, a pain in the extremities and so forth. Are we talking about the same thing? Is this part of nano-domestic quell? I believe the nano-domestic quell is specific to um, the, the entry for the food and so forth. The, each, I believe the way the government breaks things down is very... Um, it's kind of well organized in certain ways. So if there's a specific program, it would be it would be an operation that it would be attached to. So for specific purposes, if it was for uh, launching an attack against a specific race or, or you know ethnicity or whatever, they would have that. I believe under a, def a specific project name or an operation name that's specific to that. Does that help out any? Yes, yes. So it, it could be part of sort of under the same umbrella of programs. Exactly, but that's how brilliant they are. They do this stuff, so it's really hard to dig it out and find it. 
because there's they have it isolated into its own little compartment. Right, right. Now, this is a this is a big question. I mean, I don't know how um, how one would answer this in, in in such a few short minutes, but why are you convinced that the, the Jesuit order is behind this, or is it just certain elements within the Jesuit order? It seems like we're always picking on the poor Jesuits. <laughs> Well, the only thing I can say is everywhere I've looked within my own case, and I could also read, let me just read directly from Dr. Hildegard Staniger's mouth herself. This is from her affidavit in July of 2015. I don't know if this was previously read into the record here, but on your show, but here it is. This is an affidavit and a notice uh, to all government um, regarding Kiri Byrne or me. It says, Kiri Byrne was perfectly clear of this technology and since recent tests, of porphyrins, other tests pending as of date of this affidavit has returned to show presence of specific nanotechnology composed of hexagonal carboxyls that are specifically used to make porphyrin nanotubes used in hexagonal waveguides as reported in phase one. She says further, special request analysis dated June 6, 2015 were reintroduced back into her system that she never gave permission for this, that the use of it was for torture, terrorism, and hate crimes, reasons against her. Due to Kiri Berners unswerving faith in Christ without adherence to the Catholic faith tenets, recent conversion 2008 to orthodoxy, heretical act as defined by the Roman Catholic dogmas as a means of retaliation by those who she witnessed against in a criminal trial in 2003 against the priests of the Cistercian Order of the Catholic Church. Here we go. The earmarks of Jesuit attack are also seen in that Fordham University pioneered the use of nanotechnology and is one of the leading authorities on the subject. That according to Kiri Berners' testimony, transcripts of the trial case, Commonwealth versus Joseph Chukong, that both priests who testified against her were either graduates, affiliates, or professors at Fordham University. After being heard Kiri Berner mentioning her concern that the St. Joseph's Abbey in Spencer, Massachusetts was involved, and that the same abbey had a founder by the name of J. Peter Griggs, who is also known as one of the leaders involved in Project Paperclip, an operation that furnished a way to assist German doctors of the Third Reich evade the Nuremberg trials while also assisting those with those protecting those involved in mind control experiments. German scientists in 1934 developed nanotechnologies, microbeads, and other related technologies as stated in Nanotechnology, a Gentle Introduction to the Next Big Idea by Mark Ratner and Daniel Ratner, uh, New Jersey, uh, copyright 2003. Appen believes Kiri Werner to be of sound mind and that her concerns are legitimate. Appen has personally seen the Department of Homeland Security monitor meetings outside the building and Kiri Werner was present with Appen on Saturday, December 7, 2013, etc. Now, going back into the Jesuit plan, when you look at the book, Vatican Assassins, it is huge, it is thick, it's probably thousands of pages long. There's more than enough evidence in there to show, to connect the dots, that there is a policy and that there is a fourth vow, that, that it's under on the congressional record that the, the, vow, the vow of the Jesuits is to exterminate heretics, to take over their lands, to, to take the land away from the widows. There's so much history there. I mean, Abraham Lincoln being killed by a Jesuit. This was all Charles Chinequay, who's a priest of the Roman Catholic Church, wrote a book about it and warned Abraham Lincoln that he was in the crosshairs of the Jesuits. So there's a bigger thing to play here, but it goes even deeper. And um, But I don't know how much more time we have. <laughs> well, just let me ask you, you know, I'll have you back on and we'll discuss further, but, but how do you... How do you feel about the fact that the present Pope is from the Jesuit order? The first time, I believe. Yeah, but we're in deep trouble. That is a serious problem. He is accelerating. It's like as if uh, if Hillary Clinton got into office. That's how it is with regards to Roman uh, Vatican politics. That's like 
that's pretty much the same parallel right there. So they're moving forward at accelerating rates, you know, to, to for the extermination of whatever the, the number is that they, they seek to kill, you know, uh, off the population. But he's definitely a dangerous man. There's no doubt about that as far as my research shows and as far as all the phone calls I get, and some of them from victims from, of his. Oh, okay. Well, uh, Carrie, uh, we will pick this up at another time down the road somewhere. Again, uh, give us the website and uh, and the book. Uh, clergyvictim.com, Transforming Victims into Victors, and the book is Divine Challenge. It's for free for now on the download on that website. And, okay, that's it. Yeah. Carrie, thank you so much. We'll speak again. Thank you. God bless you, Richard. God bless. Well, before I say goodnight to the moon over Messenia, I'm going to tell you what's coming up next on Conspiracy Unlimited. They were calling it Helter Skelter. The history of rock and roll is littered with suspicious deaths and the unexplainable. The Beatles telling him that there was going to be this race war. Lennon, Hendrix, Presley, Jim Morrison, the truth told by the experts and the people there. Revelations that will blow your mind. The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone with Richard Serrett. Listen and subscribe at Apple Podcast and Google Play. Be sure to be listening this Friday. Lyle Blackburn, cryptid researcher, will be here to talk about the Lizard Man, the true story of the Bishopville Monster. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.